0: Welcome to fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. Drew and I are doing things a day too early this week because, well, when you have Drew's job and you're an entertainment reporter for a major outlet out in LA, this time of year is just crazy. Do you want to tell the nice folks what you'll be doing tomorrow, for example?
1: Well, I can't talk about what I'm doing in the morning, okay. but I can. I, I am going into a studio to watch some footage from an upcoming movie. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going back home, working all day, and then going to go watch uh, Don't Look Up, which is the new Netflix um, film with Leonardo DiCaprio. So yeah, I mean, this week has been absolutely crazy. I've been to the Fox lot. I've been to the Academy uh, Museum watching stuff. It's been a lot. So, yeah, Jim graciously uh, gave me an out to record this a little bit
0: earlier so that I can get all this stuff in, you know? When you have to factor in driving around L.A., having to file stories on the fly, not to mention forming informed opinions about stuff you've just seen and then trying to figure out how this movie or TV show stacks up against everything else you've seen over the past two weeks, that's a little crazy making, Especially at those moments when you just like a movie that everyone else seems to love. And take, for example, Disney's Encanto... Which I know you love, Drew. I know, you know, I- I, I did. I don't, I,
1: I firmly distanced myself from whatever Jim is about to say. So That's just. a smart
0: move because cr- critics have raved about this Byron Howard, Gerard Bush, and Sharice Castro-Smith film, a 90% freshness rating over Rotten Tomatoes, audience rating of 93. That's a hit, especially these days with the Omicron variant uh, looming. I liked Encanto. I, I really liked it, but I, I didn't love it, and I- Nancy and I saw this Walt Disney Animation Studios production this past Monday. We caught a three o'clock matinee. Drew, there was only one other couple in the theater with us. So f- four people total. So not a whole lot of energy in the room. And Right. And Canto was beautifully staged. It features a lot of great animation. I enjoyed a lot of the songs. Shed a few tears along the way. But the story... First of all, the movie doesn't have a villain. It has a stern grandmother who has high expectations for her family and wants to continue to support the community that she helped found and her, her family lives in. And this is a crime? I, you know, it's like...
1: I didn't I didn't think she was
0: supposed to be the villain. I don't know if it needed a
1: villain. I mean, it, it, there clearly is not a sort of mustache
0: twirling No, villain. no, no. And I don't think this is a situation where... I'm not connecting with the material because I'm not a 15-year-old girl. I mean, I love Moana. I just think maybe the size of the cast, having to service that many characters, prevented me from really sort of connecting with the material. And some of the stuff is, you know, I mean, for example, the dad is clumsy and is always getting stung by bees. The the cousin who can mimic everybody is a jerk. It's one of these things where not a lot of depth there, and I'm going to have to watch this again. Which should be easy to do because it's showing up on Disney Plus on December 24th, right?
1: Yes, Christmas Eve. It's a Christmas present. Okay.
0: Yeah. So what am I missing here? What What am I not seeing?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I really connected with the kind of just the idea of having this crazy giant family, which you and I both have Abs- crazy families. Absolutely. Jim, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. But I don't know. I thought it was really moving. Mm. I cried a lot. Mm-hmm same thing here but kind of walked out the door and well that was okay right just not there, there. i thought the, the 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 animated the musical sequences i thought were beautiful and really utilized like you know obviously the the movie doesn't take place in a big space mm-hmm. it's 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 all in the house basically mm-hmm. there is no quest there is no adventure mm-hmm. So the an, the musical sequences really allowed for them to the animators to kind of come unhinged in a really delicious way mm-hmm. and I feel like the songs were really great. I think you could you could really tell that Lin Manuel had been there from the beginning mm-hmm. unlike Moana where he was brought in much much later mm-hmm. in the process. But yeah, I just I was very moved by it and I and I was just overwhelmed, but I mean I think that
0: seeing it with a packed house. See, that's my concern. Maybe that's a situation when you're, you know, I, I still remember that first screening of Frozen where we, we went to that tiny screening room. And it was us, Nancy and myself and like three agents. And it was like watching it with iguanas, you know. There mm. <laughs> was, yeah. was no energy in the room at all. And I, I still remember, you know, the Disney press rep standing at the door asking, uh, I want to say... Kristen Bell and Adina Mazelle had the exact same agent. And the representative was talking with the person of Disney. And to this day, I remember what this woman said. So, what did you think of the film? it's like, I think it serviced my clients quite well. And it was like, wow. Wow, an outpouring of emotion. <laughs> oh, that's from, uh... it exactly. It's like, you know, when you when you have Freon flowing through your veins. I, I almost shed a tear, but then I thought about their spreadsheet. So Right. So how's Encanto doing at the Pox office? Uh, Drew and I will talk about that in a moment. But first, news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, again, back to Encanto. This Byron Howard, Jared Bush, and Cherise Castro-Smith film has sold 26 million worth of tickets domestically over the past Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if you add in the tickets that were sold for Encanto for its Tuesday night previews, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, as well as Thanksgiving Day, uh, we're now looking at a box office total of 40.3 million. And Encanto continued to chug along at the box office. And so we factor in domestic ticket sales over the past three days. As of Wednesday, December 1st, Encanto has sold $44.2 million worth of tickets in North America. So why is this significant? Largely because, you know, if you think about what a, a horrible year 2021 has been for domestically released films with theaters, what with the whole dance step of this is streaming, this is streaming, but it's also in theaters. There hasn't been an animated film that's really done big numbers at the box office. The closest one is Boss Baby, Family Business, which released at theaters back in July of this year. At the same time, it was available on a couple of streaming services. Uh, Peacock, I want to say as well?
1: Yeah, it was on Peacock, and then I think you could buy it. You could rent it on VOD.
0: Okay, so Total of box office for and Boss Baby Fam, a family business is the highest grossing animated feature for this year to date. It's it sold fifty seven point three million worth of tickets in North America. So. Pixar's Onward was released to theaters back in March of 2020, that Dan Scanlon film only got 13 days in theaters before the pandemic shut down all the movie theaters in North America, and it sold 61.5 million worth of tickets domestically. So the thing at Disney these days, as I understand it, is that a drop off in business for weekend number two of 66% is, is fairly typical. So if those numbers hold, Encanto is expected to surpass Boss Baby's family business domestic totals by early next week, and then onwards numbers for all of North America by next weekend.
1: Wow, this is some forensic reporting, Jim. Is the abacus still out on your desk? Can we 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 do we move the, the, the little beads over? Well,
0: what's kind of interesting is that Disney would love strictly from a symbolic point of view to have Encanto uh-huh. do $100 million domestic.
1: Well, did you see that Dune has just passed 100 domestic? Yes. it's been out since yeah. October? But
0: that's also the thing, the thing we talked about uh, just a moment ago. The, the problem here is the ticking clock that Encanto shows up on Disney Plus as a special holiday treat on December 24th. Right. So right now we have three weeks to get to $100 million and I don't know, especially with the Omicron variant, the number of kids who haven't been vaccinated, the fact that right now a lot of kids are in school, so it's only the weekends you can make this sort of money. I don't know if I see that happening.
1: Yeah, I don't. I I'm skeptical. But like we've said uh, time and time again, you know, there's so many other things that they're factoring into whether or not it's a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know how many action figures that sold or merchandise or on shop Disney or whatever. So it's so you know.
0: interesting. You said that because I was in target the other day and it, there is, for example, you can buy a playset of the actual encanto, the, the, the magical house. You can get a Mirabelle doll and, you know, a whole playset of the family, but it's the perfect daughter. The one who raises, you know, who can produce flowers. I'm, I'm blanking her name. Yes. I was surprised to see her. Get a, a standalone doll.
1: Is she on the swing or something? Can you can you comb her hair? Or is there some
0: interactivity? <laughs> no, she, she's just pretty. And it just sort of like okay. makes me think back to, you know, do you remember the stories about how when Little Mermaid came out back in, oh, geez, 88? And how the first set of Ariel dolls had blonde hair because the manufacturer was like, little girls don't like dolls with red hair. Yes, I get the message of Encanto and you know we should celebrate Mirabel, the really earnest daughter, but we still need a pretty doll. And you know, so there it is right there in the right. shelf. So
1: But did you see that Mirabelle is at the parks or I think at least at California Adventure? Yes,
0: yes. I love that she's out there and supposedly the the friends of Mirabelle that they've cast for this role evidently are just knocking it out of the park. They've got the poses. They've got the way she talks down. Again, we're still dealing with our pandemic versions of meet and greets where it's like, hi, I'm 10 feet away and I'm waving to you. Please don't get any closer. But those look great. On on the other hand, did did you see, have you seen the images from the holiday-themed stuff that's going on on the Avengers campus that's tied to Hawkeye?
1: Oh, my God. Did somebody go to... Rite Aid five minutes before they had to put up the decorations or what? I mean, I think. Uh,
0: I, I Same thing. I get a, It's just one of these things where it's like, I sort of get what they were trying to do, but you would think, you know, it's Avengers headquarters. Tony I mean, Tony Stark would spring for at least $30. You know, it just. It, it, well, you know what they could have done is that
1: giant bunny that he gives Pepper from Iron Man 3 because that is a Christmas movie. Oh, uh, so there is canonical Christmas time in the MCU before even Hawkeye. So you could have put that giant stuffed bunny up. You could have done a lot of things, Jim. But you know what? This is uh, this is not. Imagineering isn't playing with a full deck. Let's say right now.
0: At some point, you and I are going to have to talk about that. Speaking of which, you know the news that just came down about uh, Mister Weiss. But yes, uh, another show, another time. <laughs> Speaking of holiday-related stuff, did you see where Al Jean, the longtime run showrunner for The Simpsons, has a holiday-related idea about how to ultimately end this long-running animated series?
1: No, I didn't see this.
0: Okay, so this was, he recently revealed this with in an interview with the Radio Times. And so to, to understand what Al's talking about here, you have to remember that the very first episode of The Simpsons, which was entitled The Simpsons Roasting in an Open Fire, Uh, It starts off with the family attending the Christmas pageant at Springfield Elementary. And so to Al Jean's way of thinking, the perfect way for the final episode of The Simpsons End is to see the family heading out the door to go to this very same holiday pageant at Springfield Elementary. And here's the quote. That's how it ended if I had to. Uh, Make it so... In the final episode, Homer and family are going to the holiday pageant that we showed in in the first show. So that way, the entire series is one continuous loop. By the way, the show is is currently renewed through its thirty fourth season, which uh, will end in the, the season of uh, the spring of two thousand twenty three. And uh, Radio Times also asked Al if there was any talk now about actually ending The Simpsons. And he said, to be honest, since we're doing so really well on Disney Plus in the U.S. and the U.K. and other countries in the Americas, I don't see anyone saying, let's wrap it up, figure out how to get out, you know, at this moment. show recently aired its 700th episode. Al got asked, did he think The Simpsons could make it to a 1,000 episodes? And he, he said, look, that's 12 more seasons. I mean, I'd be happy to be here in 12 seasons times, but that's not a hop and a skip and a jump. That's a, that's a little further than that. And I know we're going to definitely make it to 757 seasons. That's a number Gracie is currently contracted to deliver by the end of the uh, 2023 season. But So I wouldn't say that's the end, but I honestly don't know how much further we can go. Even over so 700 episodes in at this point, they're still finding new things to do. Waylon Smithers, who officially came out as gay in a 2016 episode of The Simpsons, just last month had his first official on-screen romance. The episode was entitled Portrait of a Lackey on Fire. He had uh, began a relationship with Michael DeGraff, who was a famous fashion designer who was voiced by Victor Garber.
1: Uh, he, love Victor Garber. Yeah.
0: I, I was going to say, you got to see the revival of Assassins. He was actually in the very, the original off-off Broadway production of Assassins. He actually played John Wilkes Booth in that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Again, I, over the past week or so, well, with, with losing Mr. Sondheim, I spent a lot of time listening to music from his shows. And I, again, and you know from having seen Assassin, it has... Some beautiful s- songs and some weirdly upbeat music, which is really strange <laughs> given the subject matter.
1: Yes. I mean, there's a reason that it was in Studio 54. Jim. Well, you know. there we go.
0: Oh, oh, speaking of Mr. Sondheim, you did get to see West Side Story, right? I did. I did. That's
1: why I was at um, at the Fox lot the other day. And
0: are we allowed
1: to talk about it yet?
0: Oh. Yeah. Okay. We,
1: yeah, we can talk about it. Sure. Okay. And... <laughs> I, I was not as impressed as as many. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very faithful. There are some fascinating kind of revisions slash modernizations mm-hmm. uh, slash changes in sort of setting and staging. Mm-hmm. But I was not totally moved by it. I'm, much like you in Encanto, Jim, I was not totally moved by it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of felt like something Spielberg needed to do like how Peter Jackson had to remake King Kong for some reason. And so it felt a little bit more like an obligation than a sort of fully formed, creative kind of accomplishment. So that's where I stand on it right now. But who knows? Maybe I'll watch it again and fall in love.
0: Well, the story goes that since Spielberg did that big dance number in 1941, the swing, swing, swing thing, it supposedly nodded him that he never did a musical. Well, he also did the
1: musical number in Temple of Doom. He did. That opens he the He did. Yeah. He
0: did. And number of, you know, whether we're talking about um, uh, the little mouse that came over from, uh, oh, American Tail.
1: Uh, you know, yeah. I
0: mean, he's done projects with songs and obviously killer scores for so many of his films, but he he'd never done a full-on musical. And so... It's just kind of interesting that this is the one that he chose to revisit.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, I feel like he kind of missed out when Francis and Marty got to make uh, musicals back in like the late 70s, early 80s. He didn't get to do it back then. Yeah. So I feel like he is kind of playing catch up to his buddies. Ben? Uh, De Palma even got to do a musical too with Phantom of the Paradise. He did. So he's he sort did. of the last yeah. one of that, that group, the movie brats, mm-hmm. too. Get to do a musical, but we will talk about it soon, Jim. It's coming out on the 10th, so you, you got go okay. right. okay. to go rush out and see it.
0: All right. Okay. This time, I'll try to get to a theater with other people in it. So, <laughs> Okay. So, circling back to The Simpsons, which has been on since 1989, and again, first episode, uh, Simpsons on a Roasting Fire, also features a title card that reads, The Simpsons Christmas Special. The Christmas special that predates that by 25 years is the Charlie Brown Christmas special, which debuted in 1964. But the thing is, all of us are, are kind of used to the Peanuts specials. For years, they ran on CBS, and then ABC got the exclusive rights. And it was just a, a couple of years back that they got snagged for Apple+, Plus, right?
1: Yeah, they have that big deal with Apple, uh, the Peanuts conglomerate,
0: yeah. Apple realizes that for a lot of us, it's just not the holiday season without the Peanuts specials. And they I think they made what what is basically a really smart move. They cut a deal with PBS and PBS Kids so that it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown and a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving have aired ad-free on PBS and PBS Kids. Great Pumpkin aired on public television on Sunday, October 24th, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving aired on PBS and PBS Kids on Sunday, November 21st, A Charlie Brown Christmas. It's going to be a debut on PBS and PBS Kids on Sunday, December 19th at 7.30 Eastern time. All three of these holiday specials are also available for streaming over on Apple television and on it's December tenth, right? That's when the brand new peanuts uh, holiday special debuts on Apple TV.
1: Yeah, there's a really cute trailer mm-hmm. for it out right now. So yeah, this Friday after this show comes out, mm-hmm. while you're gonna go see West Side Story, other people could stay home and watch on Apple TV plus the new peanuts
0: this is it's called for Old Angsign. And the bullet point description is that Snoopy and the gang are celebrating Christmas Eve here as Lucy tries to throw the best party ever after having had a disappointing Christmas. The peanuts things always tend to seem to lean into the melon, poly. That's what gives them their power, Jim. I guess so. I guess so. On the other hand, if you're Seth Rogen, your power is to be, well, you know, anyone who's seen Sausage Party knows this. Uh, Especially with Seth and animation, you you lean into the raunch a bit. So, uh, which brings us to Santa Claus, Inc., which debuted actually earlier today, right? Uh, Thursday, just December 2nd, over on HBO Max. Eight episodes of what looks to be pretty stellar stop motion. And the setup here is Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman. Seth is the, the, the voice of Santa and Sarah is the voice of Candy, an executive vice president at Santa Inc., who dreams of becoming the jolly old man's first woman successor. And when the show was first ordered back in May of 2020, Susanna Makos, who's the executive vice president of original programming, or original comedy animation over at HBO Max, said that she long dreamed of taking a beloved holiday tradition and then adding a feminist agenda and some R-rated comedy. And we've already seen a little of that earlier this year with the Very Solar Opposites special uh, you know, over on Hulu. Uh, did you ever get to hear the holiday theme song for that, the WTF is is Christmas song?
1: No I'm saving I'm saving my very solar opposite special to, to really just bask in the in the Christmas spirit you know so All right. well
0: yes we are we, we have another three weeks yet. so in a moment Drew and I will switch things up by looking back on on Chris's past one that I hope will we'll have a bit less swearing.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Drew, did you see the thing that uh, Disney Television Animation put up earlier today? The broken karaoke for the Ghost and Molly McGee.
1: No, I didn't. I love Ghost and Molly McGee, but I did not did not see this
0: yet. Well, they've got Scratch singing, We Wish You a Scary Christmas, which includes lines like, unleash headless reindeer riders, spreading holiday fear, which is okay. But the thing I personally enjoyed is that they also had Scratch doing a version of the dreidel song, which started off with, I have a haunted dreidel, I made it out of bones, and when it lands on gimel, say hi to your gravestone. (laughs) You know, what was nice is Molly's friend uh, Libby then tells Gratchits, I think you scarred me for life, but thanks for being inclusive. And this is only my second favorite version of the Dreidel song. Uh, You, of course, now that you're a member of the the Critic Choice Association, you remember the critic, right? Of course. I'm a big critic fan. Oh, good. Good to hear. Yeah. Buy my book. Buy my book. In fact, why didn't you do that last year with, with, with the Art of Onward? I should yeah. have done that. I should have I done that. Sh- There's still time, Jim. There's still time. Okay. <laughs> okay. But that show had my favorite, absolute favorite version of the Dreidel song. Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. I made you out of clay. This one's made of chocolate. I've eaten five today. You know, and it just, again, Jay Sherman is my sh- my, my spirit animal. I just, I miss that show. <laughs> Only 23 episodes. And then they did, Do you ever see the, the 10 webisodes they did in like 2000? No, 2001? I never have.
1: Now I have to look this up. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere.
0: Yeah. No, okay. We're recording on Sunday. So we have some box office numbers for Encanto and I, I promise to Drew, I would not pull out the whiteboard again, but it was number one at the box office this past weekend sold 12.7 million worth of tickets second week in a release number one at the box office two weeks in a row that's got to make the folks at disney happy right
1: i would assume so i mean like we talked about earlier uh, in the show you know it's being judged on a different metric jim it's like three dimensional chess on that one we we can only assume that this this adds to the happiness but who knows i think it'll a lot of it will be how many people watch on christmas day when this thing is on disney plus
0: very true. Very true. In fact, we were just talking it up. We were down in Massachusetts visiting with my mom and Nancy was like, you have to see this. You got to watch it. It's going to be available on yeah, Christmas Eve, but okay. We'll go from things that make the people at the mouse house happy to th- things that well, probably made them a little unhappy. So what do you make of this metal man or metal men news coming out of uh Warner's animation group to be directed By Ron and John, the the famed Disney directing duo.
1: Well, I think I've talked to you about this before, but a couple of years ago, back when, you know, Mm -hmm. I would see people, um, Mm -hmm. they would say, you know, Ron and John are gone, but they're not done. Like the way Disney Mm -hmm. kind of framed it was that they had Mm -hmm. retired. They weren't making movies anymore. But I I had heard that they were working on something for somebody else. I just didn't Mm -hmm. know who it was. So for me, it's like, oh, now we know that Ron and John will continue to be making animated features, and I think that Disney's loss is Warner Animation Group's gain. Quite frankly, I don't know what how that relationship soured, but obviously very interested in whatever they have uh, coming down the pike.
0: No, 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 absolutely. But but think about it when when John Musker actually retired from from Walt Disney Studios back in in March of two thousand eighteen and. And I want to say didn't remember that making of Frozen 2 documentary series that they into the unknown that they did for Disney Plus.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Didn't they actually show Ron Clements as sort of part of the story trust? You know, the the folks who were uh, kind of waiting. (laughs) Remember, there was was this whole thing where there was this voice calling out to Elsa and, you know, they were six months away from release and they still didn't know who the voice was?
1: Yeah, the the kind of timing of all this was very fuzzy. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate you kind of nailing that down because you were right john left first and then ron stuck around for a little while and then left mm-hmm. so yeah it was very it was a very strange divorce um
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, well and and remember this isn't the first time they left there was that whole thing in in september of 2005 where after disney refused to green light Freddy cat they actually left and i, I think you and i have talked at least once or twice about the whole thing of them going up to Pixar and thinking that they were being recruited right, to go work there. And instead, they they got their brains picked about who's still at Disney, who's still good, you know, that sort of thing. And they didn't know what was going on till you know, Disney bought Pixar a couple of months later. So anyway, <laughs> in other news, can we talk about the junket you've been at? You know, because here you are in the middle of the No Way Home junket and the, the trailer for Across the Spider-Verse drops. What, what was it like to be in the middle of that when that went on?
1: Well, it looks like, this is my guess, is that the Across the Spider-Verse trailer is actually the second post-credit sequence on Spider-Man No Way Home. Because oh. the caption said, in another universe, which is exactly the same caption that had the, the first teaser for the first Spider-Verse was attached to Homecoming. Mm-hmm. So, following that play, this one will be attached to Far From Home or No Way Home. Excuse me. Um, mm. So yeah, so I, I guess we don't have to sit through the credits at, le- at the very least for the next <laughs> Spider-Man movie. But I thought it looked amazing, didn't you?
0: Oh God, yeah. But I have to admit, I was intrigued to have the part one drop at you know yes. at the, the very end of this. So it's like, oh no. Did you hear anything? I mean, we know that part one uh, of Across the Spider-Verse is debuting October 7th of next year. Anything about when this Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson film, this part two drops? All I can find out in poking in various directions is 2023, maybe?
1: Yeah, it sounds like it'll probably be around the same time frame in 2023. I saw that that Lord and Miller said that they basically had every idea they wanted to do in these movies are going to be spread across the, the two sequels um, and that they're being made simultaneously, which is really interesting because I did a chat, uh, Mitchell's in the Machines chat a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and so many, uh, Michael Lasker, who's like the head mm-hmm. of the uh, kind of the visual effects, literally like ran out of the uh, conversation <laughs> to go back to work. And I thought, wow, this Spider-Verse uh, sequel must be really... Uh, something else, and then you know, now I find out that it's two movies, and uh, I'm sure infinitely more complicated because they had a little like Twitter Q and A with Lord Miller, and they said mm-hmm. that each universe is, has its own look. It's completely Ugh. dynamic. It's completely something we've never seen before, and that that little footage of Spider Man 2099, who is voiced mm-hmm. by Oscar Isaac, fighting uh, our beloved Miles Morales, um, mm-hmm. was pretty great. Pretty great.
0: I agree. I agree. Now, speaking of which you were just talking about the Mitchells versus the machines, and and, uh, no doubt at this point you've heard about the Easter egg in the Across the the Spider-Verse teaser trailer.
1: Yes. I I actually saw somebody point it out, and then I think uh, Sony Animation retweeted it or something. But, yeah, really great.
0: But Well, do you want to explain to people what it is? You know, because it's like, in a, in a word sort of way, it's kind of, of heartbreaking, isn't it? Or, yes,
1: know. there is um, Katie's moose that her dad carved for her, which I have one on my desk now. Oh, um, cool. they, uh They said that it, it wound up in Miles's. Uh, mm-hmm. bedroom because Katie had to sell it on Etsy to pay for her college
0: textbooks. Which, <laughs> oh, it, oh, heartbreaking, Jim. It is. It is. But on the other hand, what kind of assuages that heartbreak? Is the news coming out of the, the New York Critics Circle? I mean, I realize we're just really getting, you know, award season 2022 underway, but this is kind of cool, don't you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that the kind of uh, playing field is wide open because the National Board of Review... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think gave it to Encanto, right? Is that right?
0: Did it? Because I believe it, you know, so. Yeah. Okay. So all right. So we've got Mitchell's visual of the scene being recognized by the New York Film Criti- uh, Film Critics Circle as the best animated feature of the year, and so okay, Encanto with those folks. I'm yes. honestly surprised that Luca at this point isn't getting more traction.
1: Yeah. What's up
0: with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean. So. Luca is amazing
1: and should definitely mm-hmm. be in the conversation. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time. You know, we're just getting the top ten lists coming in, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see what ultimately takes the cake and if Disney is throwing its weight behind Luca more so than, I mean, uh, Encanto more so than Raya and the Last Dragon. Also, they have two short films up for potential nomination oh, this that's year too. So right. It's kind of interesting and
0: no, none from Pixar. So yeah. Okay. All right, interesting times, interesting times. Um okay, uh when we, we <laughs> when we broke from the first half of the show, I promised that we'd talk about a piece of Christmas related animation that didn't involve quite as much swearing as uh Santa Inc. On, over on HBO Max and well obviously that does that means we can't talk about Santa versus Jesus. The animated short that Trey Parker and Matt Stone did back in the fall of 95. Have you heard this story about what oh, was it? It was supposedly a video Christmas card that an executive at 20th Century Fox commissioned to make after he had seen their earlier, I guess, a student film called Jesus versus Frosty.
1: Yeah, I've heard this story.
0: <laughs> okay. They make the movie. They And again, this is back in the mid-90s. So it's like, if you're making a video Christmas card, you literally mail a VHS tape to somebody who throws it in their machine at home when they watch it. And... Then copies of it began to circulate out west, uh, an executive at, at Comedy Central saw it and reached out to Matt and Trey, and that's what ultimately led to South Park debuting on that cable channel in August of 97. And when you think about that humble beginning and then, did you manage to see the uh, the South Park post-COVID special uh, this past week on, on Paramount Plus? Or? No, how was it? It wasn't bad. I mean it was very interesting. They they made the decision uh, and by the way this is the first of the the films the first of the 14 films that are coming under that 9, you know, 100 million dollar deal but they aged up the characters 40 years and it was was very interesting to see eric as a rabbi and <laughs> but still being eric i mean that was the thing he was you know my lovely wife and my beautiful children and it's just just fascinating that eric manages to remain eric but all of that came from this video Christmas card where Santa Claus and and Jesus were duking it out and, you know, (laughs) trying to win the kid's affection. And, um, but you know, but again, I, I, I buy that story. I buy the whole 20th Century Fox. In fact, I love the fact that, you know, because it's a 20th Century Fox exhibit or or executive, it it means that the, the origins of of South Park are now tied to the Walt Disney Company. So... (laughs) Whether they like it or not. (laughs) Whether they like it or not. But but speaking of the Walt Disney Company, just yesterday, I picked up a copy of a a show business bio. Its title is literally, there's no business like show business was. It's written by Alan Young, the star of TV's Mr. Ed, more importantly for animation fans. This is Alan Young, the voice of Scrooge with Duck from the uh, Disney afternoon version of DuckTales. And also the voice of Ebenezer Scrooge in Mickey's The Christmas Carol, the featurette that came out in theaters in December of 83, which in turn was based on a recording that Disneyland Records put out in 75. This is one of these titles where it's like, well, of course this sold millions of copies, Drew. This is literally what the album was called, an adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol performed by the Walt Disney Players. This was the recording that served as the stepping stone. For Mickey's Christmas Carol, and the book itself was published back in April of 2016. We lost Mr. Young just one month after the book was published on May 16th of that same year, at the age of 96. And in this um, this book, Drew, he tells the story of how the recording originally came to be. So here he goes. During a lull in my employment, an executive at the Walt Disney Recording Division called me. He said, you wrote for radio, didn't you? And he said, well, that's how I got started in the business. He then said that the studio had produced an album of Christmas carols sung by various Disney characters. Evidently, the idea was great, but the results were not. In fact, it was not up to the Disney standards, so they canceled its release. However, they were now stuck with thousands of expensive album covers, a loss they were loath to absorb. And it goes on to say, we've decided to produce a recording of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Can you write and produce it? And when a performer is out of work, they say yes to everything. So, Alan goes on to say, so I was stuck with the project. And when I say stuck, I, I, the album cover had drawings of various Disney characters, so they must be included in the story. Disney was a stickler for honesty. So, it turned out Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, Huey, Dewey, and Louie all had to fit into the story. So I hired a small studio in Santa Monica and we were off. Scrooge was easy to cast. My real name was Angus and I came from the Bonnie land. I also played Mickey and I later received a letter from the head of Disney Studios saying, I was the first to do the voice of Mickey since Walt Disney had done it. Doing Mickey was a great feat. I just imitated Walt. The rest of the cast was made up. All of all Disney voices were naturally perfect. The album sold out as well as the subsequent Tapes. Okay. So, Drew, far be it for me to cl- be claim that a beloved entertainer like the late Alan Young is stretching the truth, but there's a lot about the story about the <laughs> origins of an adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol performed by the Walt Disney Players that doesn't quite add up.
1: Okay, let's let's go through it. The whiteboard uh, is back.
0: The whiteboard is back, yeah. but again, we're we're not going to do math. This is, this is, English majors out there, hang in there. Okay, this recording was a, a, indeed conceived and written by Alan Young and Alan Deinhart. In fact, Alan Deinhart voices Honest John and Gideon from Disney's Pinocchio on this recording. These two characters who are thieves in Disney's Pinocchio... Are the people who are collecting for London's poor, the, the the charity guys who go to Scrooge's office and he does the whole, you know, are there no workhouses? Are there no prison speech? So it's like That's interesting. Weird. That's yeah. weird. Alan also does a, quite a number of voices on this recording. Uh, he's Scrooge McDuck, Ebenezer Scrooge. He's also interesting in this version Uh, early version. The Ghost of Christmas Past isn't Jiminy Cricket. It's Merlin the Magician from Sword in the Stone. Also does Mickey's voice and Mickey and Bob Cratchit. And then there's Morty Fieldmouse, which no idea that Morty's last name was Fieldmouse, but uh, again, the voice of Tiny Tim. But as for the whole thing about being the first person to voice Mickey Mouse since Walt Disney died, doesn't that kind of overlook Jimmy McDonald's work is Mickey's voice for like twenty years. yeah. And never mind that what Jack Wagner used to do, Mickey's voice for the parks. and and then this whole side story about how Disney had commissioned this Christmas album where the characters sang and now they were stuck with all these expensive album covers. and, and it was one of these things where it's like you look at the cover and the cover has obviously been printed specifically for this recording. Uh and he also does things like mentioned Huey doing the Louie, and they're nowhere to found, be found on the cover. And it's just sort of like there's something about this whole thing of Disney not wanting to pulp or throw away the album cover story that just doesn't add up. But but here's the genuinely weird part, True. Noted Disney music historian Greg Arbar, he wrote the great book Mouse Tracks. He insists that there actually was an earlier version of. Of this Dickens A Christmas Carol adaptation that Disney records had produced in the early 70s. That, that, In fact, he talks about how there was a version of this recording where it was voice actor Bill Lee uh, who served as the narrator and the voice of Scrooge uh, Ebenezer Scrooge on the thing. But this version of the recording featured a lot more music and was far more ser- serious in tone. So... When you're 96 years old, you're allowed to maybe mix up some of the details. Greg insists that the Bill Lee version of this album was released and that it, it's one of the absolutely hardest recordings for collectors to find because so few of them were sold. But evidently it sold so poorly that Disneyland Records turned to Alan and it's like, look, we need a lighter, funnier take on this material and would you consider coming in and re-recording adding new stuff and so that I could believe that I could believe that they they pulled the records off the shelf put the new recording in the old album covers and then put them back out on the shelves but if you line that part of the story up then suddenly him becoming the voice of Scrooge McDuck for DuckTales makes sense it's like oh this is the guy who came over the hill and saved our ass and you know, we had a popular recording that came out of it and we got this featurette and Hey, let's stay in the Alan Young business. So, um, but I, I, have to ask on like the fuse, have you ever run into anything like this where you, you've got somebody who's worked on one of the films, who's telling you a story you've never heard before. That's like, that can't possibly be true. And then you find out after the fact, like, not only is it true. It opens up this whole new line of inquiry? Or, oh, yeah.
1: I mean, it, what's fun is, you know, getting people to confirm things that we've heard from other guests or mm-hmm. something like that. So, yeah, we do a lot of, of double and triple checking on these stories. And, uh, you know, we've we've uncovered a lot of things that nobody's ever heard before. So I give us credit for that,
0: if, if only that. <laughs> it's a hugely entertaining series of projects. Speaking of which, what, what's in the works for light the fuse right now or, well, we just you know. put
1: uh we just put out a, an episode with teddy newton who fans of pixar will know as a, a oh, story yeah. artist and mm-hmm. um one of brad bird's biggest collaborators he says he's working mm-hmm. with brad on something right now so let's hope that comes out in a timely fashion but he uh shares some great stories about what it was like working on brad's mission Hospital as well as rogue nation and um you know, so I think people who listen to this podcast will get a lot out of that one. Um, and then we're just continuing our celebration of of Ghost Protocol. We've got the writers of the original draft of the screenplay up for the next couple of weeks and it, and it keeps going from there. So you know okay. we just we're just waiting for for more top gun stuff to drop too, obviously.
0: Uh, It's also worth noting here that, you know, that if you're paying attention to what Drew is up to these days, you should also be dropping by therap.com because you've been doing some great stories over there as well. I mean, in fact, you damn near broke the Bob Weiss story, didn't you? Uh,
1: Yeah. And I, you know, we, I, I had some help from, uh, from, uh, some very nice former Imagineers who kind of gave me the rundown and the, Mm -hmm. the context. Um, but, uh. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to keep up with news and features and movies. I mean, this is this is an an incredibly crazy time of year, as you know, uh, Jim. Um,
0: all right. Well, if people want to keep tabs on on what you're up to, where can they find you on social media?
1: Uh, Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt on Instagram uh, and Twitter.
0: Killer. Okay. Well, Nancy would like, like me to remind you if, you, if you want to follow us on social media, uh, you can go over to Twitter and Instagram. or we're, we're there as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. I guess this is going to do it for now. So Drew and I will be back very soon with a brand new show. Till then, thanks for listening, folks.